Okay, we're beginning here with the Mishnah on the bottom of Nun Aleph Bet. The Mishnah begins, Hanoder minachalav mutar bekum. Someone who takes the nether to restrict themselves in chalav, in milk, is permitted to take part in kum. Rabbi Yossi Oser. On the other hand, Rabbi Yossi says that's not the case. If he's noder minachalav, subsumed in that is kum. Minachum, on the other hand, if he takes the nether from kum, Mutar bechalav. He is permitted in chalav. Now what kum is, most of the Rishonim explain over here, you can see it in Rashi, mashger hanun de chalva. It is the residual of the milk, what's otherwise known as whey. It is after you curdle the milk to make cheese, the water that is left behind from that process of curdling is the kum. That's the way that Rashi explains it. That's the way that the Rosh explains it. Tosafot seems to be saying a similar thing. He says it's me chalav, it's the water of the chalav. But in each of these cases, it is some sort of residual that comes from the chalav. Again, according to most of these rishunim, it's because you're curdling the milk. It could be from the possibility if they were taking off the cream from the milk and they were taking the milk and the water that was left behind. I mean, that if you let milk stand, before it's homogenized and pasteurized, then the milk itself separates from the water. You could argue that, that maybe that water also is like this mechalav. But again, the focus of the Rishonim here is on the residual water that's left over, the whey that is left over from curdling of the cheese. Now, why this is the case, Rashi says, the kum enu bichlal chalav. Kum is just not called milk. It's not a part of the milk. On that hand, Rabbi Yossi disagrees according to Rashi. The kasavar yeshbot sichtsuach chalav. The little residues, the residuals of milk in the kum, and therefore it's deemed to be milk. So Rashi says that the argument between Rabbi Yossi and the Chachamim is about the kum itself. Is the kum milk because there is residue or residual milk inside of the whey? Or is it simply water and therefore it has no semblance of the milk itself? So then you look in the Tosafot, Tosafot says, Rabbi Yossi Sever Kum Bichlal Chalav, whereas the Chachamim believe that it's not Bichlal Chalav, the Psolet. It is just the residue. It is the leftover. It's the discard or even the discharge from the milk, the whey that comes out when you're making or curdling the cheese. And since it's a Psolet, Psolet Chalav is not called Chalav. On the other hand, Rabbi Yossi disagrees and says that Psolet Chalav is considered to be chalav. Daran says, you should look in the Gemara, the Gemara is going to explain it. The Gemara later on will explain that it has to do with the nature, possibly, of the language, which is whether the word chalav subsumes the word kum in it. And that might have to do with how people say the word kum. Do they say kum and it's an independent entity, an independent word? Or is kum always attached to chalav? It's the kum de chalva. It's the kum of the milk. And since it's connected to milk always, it's still considered to be some sort of derivative of milk because of that. And that could be the machoket, and that's the way the Gemara sets up the machoket here between Rabbi Yossi and the Chachamim in the end. It has to do with the nature of the wording or vocabulary in the different areas. So now you have, mutar That's the first statement, that's the Chachamim's position. Rabbi Yossi is Oser. We just explained three different reasons as to why they might argue over here. Rashi who says they're arguing about whether there's residue of milk in there. Tosvot, who says they're arguing about whether psolet of something is known to be by the primary item. 
and the Ran who's bringing the Gemara that says that it's an argument about language. Menokum mutar bechalav. On the other hand, if you take a nether from kum, then you are mutar bechalav. Over here, Tosafot brings down two possibilities. One possibility is that it says divriyakol. Everybody agrees that if you take a nether from kum, that chalav is mutar because the two are not overlapping. I mean, taking a nether from kum has nothing to do with the primary object, milk. Milk is very different than kum. You could talk about a secondary object or a derivative object being subsumed under the primary. So kum could be included under chalav. But the other way around, to say that when you're taking a nether from kum, that chalav is also restricted, that seems strange. And therefore, this is a statement of difre hakol. That's one approach that Tosafot brings. Another thing, Tosafot brings a second approach, which is that Rabiosi will disagree in this instance as well. Just like he says, someone who takes a nether from chalav will be a sur in kum, so too, someone who takes a nether mikum will also be a sur in chalav. The Ran already understands that there might be some difficulty in this approach, because the way that the Ran explained it, and the way that Gemara is going to explain it, is that when you talk about kum, you talk about kum as being kum de chalva. It is the way from the milk. And so the word milk is part and parcel of the word kum. And that's why when you take a nether from chalav, you also subsume in that kum. But the other way around doesn't make any sense. Just because you call the kum de chalva, why should that include chalav? So the Ran on Nun Bet Amud Bet actually asks this question. He says, Vim tomad robiosi, tinach. Because the kum still has the name of chalav. It's a derivative of the primary source. The kum of the chalva correlates. According to this daya that says that Rabbi Yossi argues in both instances, then why, when someone says kum, is chalav included? Everybody calls it, this is the milk of the kum, and that milk is not a part of, or a derivative in any way of the kum. The Ishlamar came into the Karu the Kuma Kuma de Chalva. Since they called Kum the Kum of the milk, Havalu Chalav Kum Devarachat. It makes them synonymous. It makes these words synonymous in some way. And that's what you're going to have to believe here, according to Rabiosi, is that Kum and Chalav become interchangeable words in some way, even though obviously they mean different things. But because of their closeness and their shared source, because of that, they become almost interchangeable, and therefore Rabbi Yossi believes, even when you say the word kum, you'd also be a sur bechalav. Now, the Ran states over here something very interesting. He says that it's seemingly, it's a divriyakol over here, that even Rabbi Yossi would agree that it's mutar, when you say kum, that chalav is mutar. But he says that there's a brighta in the Gemara that says that Rabbi Yossi argues. We don't have such a brighta, although we do have a brighta in the Gemara, that brighto is mimics our Mishnah, doesn't show any differentiation, which might indicate that either there was an alternate girsa in the Gemara and would help to explain why that brighto is brought in the Gemara, which seems to mimic our Mishnah entirely and as if it was unnecessary to bring it. But the Ran claims that there was such a brighto. Again, we don't have it in our girsa that showed that Rabbi Yossi argued in both instances. And that's what compelled some of the Rishonim to explain it that way because otherwise, why would you explain it? You would assume that it was Divriyakol, the reason that they're compelled is because it seems there was this brighter that showed that Rabbi Yossi also argued. Now, Hanuder Minakbina, person who restricts himself from cheese, Asurba, restricted in cheese, Ben Melucha, Utfela. Now, Tfela here with a top instead of a tet. You can see that in the Misereta Shas, because Tafel means something that lacks flavor, something that's bland. So, Melucha would be salty cheese, and the Tfela would be unsalted or plain cheese. 
So despite the fact that you said Hagvina, the Rosh says you use the Heyayidiyah, the low tema Hagvina Hamiyuchedet, since you use Heyayidiyah, that it refers to the special type of cheese, or cheese, the cheese, which is salted cheese, don't think that, but rather Hagvina subsumes in it any type of cheese, whether it is salted or whether it is plain, the way that Tosavot says it, he says, even though people only eat salty cheese, they do not eat plain cheese. Nevertheless, Gvina subsumes both of the items. And Duran, similar to Tosavot, says it a little differently. He says, Majority of cheese is salty cheese. So you would have assumed when he says Gvina that it includes those salty cheeses because that's what's the rov is. In the end, what the mission is telling us is the word Gvina is used to ex- describe both types of cheese. And since that's the case, when a person says Gvina, he excludes both types of cheese, whether it's salty cheese or if it's plain cheese. Now, anuder mina basar, mutar, berotev, obikipa. person who takes a nether from meat is permitted to partake of the rotev. Rotev is easier to understand here. Rotev is the gravy, it's the liquid that comes from the cooking of the meat. Obikipa, kipa, there's a machloket in the Rishonim here as to what kipa is. If you look in Daran, Daran says kipa is hainu dak dak shobasar dera. It's the little pieces of meat that separate away from the larger piece and sink to the bottom of the pot. So that's what is considered to be the kipa. So according to Daran, it's really small or minuscule pieces of meat that comes from the softening of the meat that peels away. There's these little shreds or strings of meat that settle at the bottom of the pot. If you look in Rashi, Rashi says that the kippah is makpeh aveh mitavlin. It is this type of sauce gravy that is thick, that's made out of the spices. So as opposed to the rotev, which is this liquid gravy, this is much more of a solidified type of gravy, which comes from all the spices that are there, or the flavors that are put into the meat. According to some, even maybe it's even coagulated gravy. If you look in the Rosh, the Rosh combines both the Iran and Rashi's explanation, which is, It's the mixture of the pieces of meat and the gravy that is hardened at the base of the pot, made out of the tavlin, as well as these pieces of meat. There you have three different approaches, the Rambam in the Perish Mishnayot, actually goes with a much simpler explanation. It says that rotev hiamarak, rotev is the gravy or is the liquid that's there, kippah hua tavlin, and the kippah is just the spices. So you have another alternate explanation of what the kippah is, but based on the position of the Tanakhama, the Chachamim here, person who takes a nether from basar means meat, and doesn't mean these other items that are derivatives of the meat, like the gravy and like the kippah, they're not included in his nether. On the other hand, Rabbi Yehuda Oser. Rabbi Yehuda says it's a sewer. The Ran connects between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yossi and says that they are of the same shita. That the argument that Rabbi Yehuda has on the Tanakama here, or the Chachamim, is the same Achloka that Rabbi Yossi has with the Chachamim as well, as to whether these items are subsumed under the broader word or not subsumed under the broader word. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Maseh, we had an incident, Va'asar alai Rabbi Tarfon. Rabbi Tarfon was Oser for me, Eggs that were cooked together with the meat, he did not let me partake of that egg. 
and I had only taken a nether from basar. So you see here that things that are flavored by the meat or derivatives of the meat, they are also asurim. And he says, I have evidence of that from the fact that Rabbi Tarfon Paskin this way for me. So Amrulo, so the Chachamim respond to him and say, Kenadavar, you're absolutely right. But you made a mistake in your understanding of Rabbi Tarfon's Psach. Eimatai, when is that true? Bizman Shumar Basar Ze Alai. It's in a case where he specifies the Basar. He says what the piece of meat is that he's making a sore. Shanoder Minadavar. Because a person who takes a nether about a particular object, and then it gets mixed up with other items, it has the ability to flavor the other items, asur. And if it doesn't have the ability to flavor the other items, then it is mutar. What the Chachamim say is it makes a difference in how one takes the nether. You look in the Rambam in the Parish of Mishnayot, he describes the difference between them. Which is, he says, The person takes a nether on a particular item. And he delineates specifically what the item is. It becomes to him like a chatitka shel isura. It becomes like a piece of isura. It becomes like chazer, like non-kosher, anything like that. That's the same thing here. And then we grade it or we deal with it the same way that we would deal with anything else, when it's mitarev, with something else. If it's mixed up with something else, then the din is benotein tam, like any other isur. And if it's min bimino, then it would be bekoshu. So that would be the din over here. Aval. On the other hand, im nishbal min minaminim, if a person takes a nether about a particular type of item, not the item itself, but a type, then eno asur alav eloto amin. And you're only restricted in that item. Be'atzmo, it itself. But ubeino, by itself, without anything attached to it. Bilti, tarovet, zulato, nothing to do with mixtures or flavors or anything like that. So what the Chachamim says is there's a difference between saying basar alai, that basar is restricted, and in that case you're just restricted in basar. On the other hand, if you say basar ze alai, if you point to the specific object of basar that you're trying to be oser, that becomes like a chatichashel isura. And once you've made something into a chatichashel isura, then it takes on the properties of isur. And therefore it can convey flavor and nothing tam. It can have tarovid. It has the same dimim as anything that is tmeya, not kosher, chazer, all these things that are of isur. It has the same properties. Broader his nether is, the less likely it is to be a chatichashel isura. So if he says basar, then that's the generic or generally the basar then that would restrict all basar. It has the broad context of saying basar, but on the other hand, it doesn't have the derivative effect, which is that only basar is a sur. Anything that's flavored by it, any derivative of it would not be a sur. And then if he says basar zeh, and he specifies the object itself, then he's limiting the nether to the object itself, but that object now has a greater level of easter, becomes, it comes like a chatichash surah, and therefore derivatives or things flavored by it will be impacted by it. So, Number one, there are two things here that are important. One is, minyana dioma, since we're talking about this anyway, it happens to be that we're coming into the nine days. And during the nine days, there's an isur of basar, and eating basar based on the minhag of the Ashkenazim, shvoshchalbo by the minhag of the Sfaradim. So based on that minhag, people do not eat meat during this period of time. What happens to items that were cooked together with meat, or things that were cooked in a fleshic pot? So it turns out the halacha 
the Mishnah Bura brings down, the things that are cooked together with basar, or have any flavor of basar in them, are also restricted during the nine days. Not only is basar restricted, but also basar of would be subsumed also in this restriction. And anything flavored by basar, anything that has no tintama of basar, would be problematic during the nine days. Other than something cooked in a meat pot that only has a residual type of no tintama of the basar, and it's not a strong tama of the basar, then in that instance, we would generally say that it's not problematic during the nine days. That's one thing. It's also something that is true halakhically, similar to what is said over here, that the basar's ability to affect other items, even though it's not basar itself. Because the minhag makes it into hatikha shel isura. Number two is a question that's raised by the Tosafot, that is a very serious issue, and creates the discussion in this very large run over here. Tosafot asks a question, he says, V'im tomar. If you will say over here, I don't understand this Mishnah. This Mishnah says that if the basar has no tam to it, then it's a sur, implying that if it was not no tam, it would be mutar. That this basar, which is a chatichashali surah, if that meat gets mixed up with something else and it's not no tam, it'd be mutar. And Tosvat says, how can you say that? Because nidarim havidavar sheishlo matirim. Nidarim are something that can be mutar in the end. And we know from the Gemara and other places, in Beitza and other locations of the Gemara, Davar Shieshlo Matirim, Izenu Batel Afilu Belef. It's not Batel, even at a thousand times to one, it's not Batel. Davar Shieshlo Matirim is something that doesn't have properties that allow it to become Batel. And based on that, it would be the same thing over here. A nether is Davar Shieshlo Matirim, because a person can be Matir the nether. If it's a Davar Shieshlo Matirim, then it should not be able to be batel, and it should be irrespective of whether it's no time or not no time. That is the question that Tosafot poses. And then he says, Tosafot here makes a distinction that is important, and he says that Davar Matirim is only relevant when it comes to something that has different properties. Even as a davar sheishlo matirim, it's batel sixty to one. And you can look in the Ran. The Ran brings down different cases and shas that show that and support that idea that the limitation of a davar sheishlo matirim is only by min bimino. But min sheino mino, davar sheishlo matirim is also batel benotin tam or batel bishishim. That is what Tosavot says. Now, what Tosavot says is not so simple. The Ran here quotes the Yerushalmi in support of this Shita within the Tosafot. The Yerushalmi here on this Mishnah asks the question about whether Nedarim are Davar Sheishlo Matirim. The Rishonim's assumption is that that is the case, based on the fact that we favor people being matter their nether rather than keeping their nether. We saw that back on Da'af Kof Aleph, and later on Rabbi Natan also, we saw the statement of Rabbi Natan that better to be matter your nether than to keep your nether and to uphold the nether. So since Hatarat Nidarim is the preferred outcome over here, therefore we believe that it's a Davar Sheishlo Matirim because that's going to be the end result. We're going to ask you to be Mati the Nether. We're going to push you towards being Mati the Nether. And that's why it's considered to be a Davar Sheishlo Matirim. Now again, the Yushami says that, but there is an alternate day in the Yushami who disagrees and says that it's not considered to be a Davar Sheishlo Matirim. Again, the Yushami seems to favor the side that's Davar Sheishlo Matirim and all the Rishonim say it here. On the other hand, the Rambam 
seems to think that Nidarim are not a Dovar Sheish Lomatirim, and for a very good reason. It's very different than normal Dovar Sheish Lomatirim. In a normal case of Dovar Sheish Lomatirim, it's simply an expiry. Whenever the time period elapses, the item goes from being a sur to being mutar. On the other hand, over here, when you're talking about Dovar Sheish Lomatirim, someone has to intervene and take action. You have to have a Maseh to change it from Easter to Heter. That's a very different type of Dovar Sheish Lomatirim then a standard case where uh, it's a sur and Shabbat. So when Shabbat passes, it becomes mutar. So because of that, the Rambam favors, or seems to favor the opinion that the Darim are not considered to be a Dabar Sheesh Lomatirim. So what Tosafot takes for granted, and again, the Yushami seems to support this view, and many of the Yushami support this view, that it's a Dabar Sheesh Lomatirim. That's what the premise of his whole question is, because it's a Dabar Sheesh Lomatirim. But that premise can be challenged, and maybe they are not Dabar Sheesh Lomatirim. But, taking the assumption that it is a Dabar Sheish Lomatirim, then why does it work over here to be Batel? So, Tosfut over here is Michalek between Min Bimino and Min She'enu Mino. When we say Dabar Sheish Lomatirim is Enu Batel Be'elef, Afilu Be'elef, that's talking about Min Bimino. But Min She'enu Mino, then it is Dabar Sheish Lomatirim is Batel B'Shishim or Benotin Tam, and that's the case of our Mishnah. That leads to a very big problem with the Psak of the Rif. And that the Ran quotes over here, and all the Rishonim, because of this, reject the Rif's Psak. It says, Lofika Chikshu al Rav Alphas Zal, that all the Rishonim ask on the Rif, Shekatav Behilchotav, Beperk Gidanashib, and Yan Pat, Shafai Matsli, Bitanur, that if you bake bread inside of a oven, the same oven as meat that you are roasting, the Maidamrinim Dasur Achlab Kutach, that you're not allowed to eat it together with the kutach, which is a milk spread. Even though we believe that the transference of flavor through the air is not a problem, and therefore you can cook in the same oven meat that is uncovered, and you can cook the bread in the oven, and the bread will remain not fleshic. What's the reason that we say that you shouldn't do this? The bread is a dover matirim. Because you can eat the bread together with meat instead of with milk. Therefore, even when a thousand times it's not batel. What's the problem with the riff? The problem with the riff is that you're dealing with min she'enu mino. You're dealing with bread that is taking flavor from the meat. That's min she'enu mino. And the bread should be mevatel, the flavor of the meat. Because rechalav miltahi, or it's not significant enough. And therefore, if you don't taste the meat in the bread, the bread should be considered to be powerful. It should have no effect from the meat. Yet, the riff over here invokes the principle that if it's dover sheishlo matima, filo bel, filo botil. So because of that, all the Rishonim reject this riff and say the riff is wrong. As Aloha is wrong because we, based on our Mishnah here, established that when you have min, she'enu mino, that even dover sheishlo matirin has the ability to become botel. And the same will be true over there. In the case of the bread inside of the oven together with the meat, that it's min she'enu mino, and therefore it should be batel be notein tam. So now, the Ran comes to defense of the Rif, and says that the Rif's halacha is right, and then the Ran here is mechadesh two things, one about tarovit in general, and one about davar sheishlo matirim, and this is a very famous Ran, it's worth, uh, so I'm spending time on it, because it's a famous Ran that's quoted all over Shas, and has impact all over in many different places. The Ran says that the way that Tarovit works, or why things are batel, is because of the nature of contrast. Items can be batel each other when they contrast with each other. 
if items are similar, they cannot be mevatel each other. That's the first premise of the Ran, that only items that are contrasting can be mevatel each other. Things that are similar will not be mevatel each other. The second question that you have to address is, what determines what is contrast? So there we have a machloke between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda believes that contrast has to do with the food itself, the underlying item that's there. Therefore, Rabbi Yehuda believes, min b'mino enu batel, when you have two pieces of meat, they are not batel because they are of the same type. They're the same food that you're talking about, same chemical properties, same item that's there. They're not batel each other because there's no contrast. And the primary item that we're looking at is the food itself. And if we look at the properties of the food, if the properties of the food are similar, they will not be mevatel each other. If they are different, contrasting, then they will be mevatel each other. The other hand, the Chachamim disagree, and they say that the din by min b'mino and min she'en b'mino is the same when you're talking about the properties of the food. What creates the contrast for the Chachamim is the halachic reality, which is if meat is asur and meat is mutar, then the mutar meat can be mevatel the asur meat. But if you have two pieces of meat that are both either asurim or both heter, they're not going to be mevatel each other. So in order to have bitul, according to the Chachamim, you have to have contrasting items. Contrasting items means that you have isur versus heter. And if you have isur versus heter, the heter can come along and be mevatel the isur. That's the first chiddush of the Ran, that bitul works in this concept or this way of contrasting items. And the machlok between Rabbi Yudu and the Chachamim is about what is the focus of the contrast. Rabbi Yudu says the focus is on the properties of the food. And the Chachamim say the focus is on the halachic properties of the item. Now we move over to Davar Sheishlo Matirim. When it comes to a Davar Sheishlo Matirim, that is not fully sore. It has a touch of heter in it because right now it's a sore, but eventually it will become mutar. So based on that, it lowers its contrast factor. As opposed to really sore versus real heter, over there heter can work on the sore because the isur is a full-fledged isur and the heter is full-fledged heter. There's real contrast and then therefore the heter can be vatel the isur. On the other hand, when you lower the, thre- the threshold of Isur here, because this is Davar Sheish Lomatim, in the end it will become Mutar, so because of that, it's a lower contrast to Heter. Since it's a lower contrast to Heter, Heter itself cannot override the item. But, with the addition of the food properties, over here the Chachamim say that we will allow it to be Mivatel. That means that if you take Min B'mino, together with Davar Sheish Lomatirin, then it doesn't work. Because min bimino, you have no contrast in the food properties. And you don't have a sufficient contrast in the halachic properties because you have heter. And then you have isu that's going to turn into heter. So because of that, enu batela filu bela. On the other hand, if you have min shibe enu mino, if you have two items that have different food properties, over here together, the tziruf together of the fact that these have somewhat different halachic properties. One is heter gamur. One is an Isur that will turn into Heter. So they have a contrast. That can be compensated. The lack of Isur. And that it can be compensated through the difference in the food properties. And therefore, if the items are different items, it's Min, Shein, Umino, that will suffice, according to the Chachamim, in order to allow it to to take place. And that's what Tosavot explained about our Mishnah, and the Ran agrees too, and many of the Rishonim agree, that when you have Min, Shein, Umino, then even with the Varshish, it's Batel, according to the Chachamim. And again, the way that the Ran describes this is because of the tziru, the joining of the min veinu mino, plus the somewhat contrast between heter and isu that will turn into heter, 
those together can create enough contrast to allow for the bitol. On the other hand, what the Ron explains is that the case of the rift is a very different case. The case of the rift is not davar matirim because it's a sore now and it will become mutar in the future. Why is the bread there considered to be a davar matirim? Considered to be a davar matirim is because the bread, which is quote-unquote fleshik, which is meat, can be eaten with meat right then. We don't want you eating with milk because you could eat it with meat right then. That's not your classic type of davar matirim. Classic type of davar matirim is something that's sore the gam right now. And it will become Hector the Gamur later on. Over here, that Davar Sheshul Matirim is very different. It's Hector Gamur right now. It has aspects of it which are Asur, but it also has opportunities to eat it and utilize it now where it's Hector Gamur. And what the Ran says, based on his Shita about contrasts, that's not enough of a contrast to create Bitol. Because this Davar Sheshul Matirim is not even Asur right now. It's mostly Hector. It's so similar to regular Hector that the two are not contrasting enough in order to allow for Bitol. Ah, what about if you add on min shenu mino? That's not enough to compensate over here. Min shenu mino can compensate when there's a small differential between the contrasting of the heter versus something that's isur that'll become heter later on. So there's a small deficit because it'll become heter later on in the contrast. So that'll be filled in or compensated for by the difference in the nature of the food ingredients. Another hand here, where you're talking about heter gamor and something else that's heter gamor. The bread itself is heter gamor if you eat it with meat. If you eat it with milk, then it's problematic. But if you eat it with meat, it's heter gamor. They're so similar. It's almost like min bimino that it'll be difficult to have them be mivatel each other. And even if you add on top of that, the contrast of the food ingredients or the food properties, that's not enough because you're trying to compensate for too big a deficit over here and therefore it doesn't work. And based on that, the Ran believes that the riff is right and it's psakalocha because min shenu we know can't compensate in a case where you're dealing with heter and heter, even though the heter has some aspects of isur with it. On the other hand, when you're talking about isur that will turn into heter, there, min shen mino can compensate for it. That is the huge chiddush that the Ran has in this sugya. Now, that is a big chiddush because a lot of the Rishonim, like Rashi, in many places in Shas, says the reason that davar sheishon matirim is asur, or it's not even batel be'elef, is because of, why not just wait? If you can eat it now through bitel, or you can eat it later on through Heter. Why not just eat, wait, and eat it by Heter? So that's the classic view of why Davar Sheshul Matirim is considered to be problematic, is because if you just wait, you'll end up with something that's Heter. So why bother with Bittal when you can get there and eat it plain with Heter without any problems whatsoever? The Ran, on the other hand, views that Davar Sheshul Matirim is a problem in the nature of the Bittal. It's inherently problematic. The Bittal itself is inherently problematic. And that's why it's not batel. Not because it's better to wait, but because there's an inherent problem in the ability of this tarovit to actually go through the process of bitul because there's not enough contrast here. So now, that has actually a big nafkamina in the way that they view bitul. It's very possible that their views of bitul are different. We've discussed this many times. It's brought down in the Shulchan Aruch as well. The Ramal brings two opinions about this. But regards to bitul, when we look at bitul, how does bitul work? Does bitl work because it changes reality? Which means that if I have two pieces of heter and one piece of isur, the robe is heter now. So now all three pieces become heter, and they become heter gamur. That's one way to look at bitl. Or the other way to look at bitl is, I need a hachra'ah. I need a lochek psak over here. So I'll invoke bitl to give me the answer. That doesn't change the reality here that in these three pieces, one of them is a sur. But if I look at each piece in this group, 
each piece that I take from this group was most likely from the rov, and since it's from the rov, it should be mutar. The nafkamina between those two views is brought in the Ramah, in Shochan Aruch discusses this, but you have to throw out one piece. Can you eat all three pieces? Or can you eat two out of the three pieces? Because if you eat the third piece, then by definition, you're eating these two. If you think bitol changes the reality, then you can eat all three pieces without even worrying about it. If bitol is just a way to get to hachra, to get to a halachic decision, then all that means is that if I take two of the pieces, I can assume each one of those two pieces is heter. The third piece I can't eat, because then I've lost that hachra'ah, because the third piece is really isur, or what we're assuming to be the isur. Never you'd have to leave over the third piece. The same thing will be true with regards to Darvashesh Matirim. Rashi says that I'm better off waiting for Heter when there is Isur involved. That means that Rashi sees Bito as not functioning to change the reality here, but Bito is just a mechanism for dealing with the situation. So if I have a mechanism that deals with the situation through Bito, or I can avoid Bito and just take it to Heter, Rashi says wait and take it to Heter. Because he says Bito as just being a mechanism for Hachra'ah, not a change in the reality. And because of that, if I have an option, a different option, just by waiting to make it all heter, that's a much better outcome than using the Akhra'ah of to get rid of this problem of Isur. On the other hand, it seems from the Ran, the Ran thinks that Bittu would work fine. Bittu would function to change the reality, and Bittu would completely eliminate any problem here. So the issue is not, if I wait, it'll be heter. That doesn't change anything. It has to do with the here and now. For the Ran, it's all a question, does Bittol function now or does Bittol not function now? And that's what the Ran says. Delvar Sheshlo Matirin doesn't function within the world of Bittol because it's not enough contrast. And because of that, it fails in Bittol. But if it worked, if Bittol worked, then we'd say, go ahead, eat it. We wouldn't say wait for the Heter because it would be enough in the Bittol itself to eliminate it. So that is actually a big napkamina between the Rashi's view and the Ran's view of Delvar Sheshlo Matirin as to whether we ask you to wait or we don't ask you to wait for the head there. According to the Ran, there's no reason to wait for the head there. It's all about the moment that the bitul is happening. Is it strong enough to create bitul? Is it not strong enough to create bitul? That's the only question you have to ask. And for Rashi, you have to ask, this is a mechanism for determination. Is there a better mechanism? Maybe waiting is the better mechanism. Maybe we should wait to get to the head there. That's a big nafkamina between the shitot. But it's also this explanation here that the Ran gives that bitul works through contrast. Also has other interesting nafkaminos in determining certain things, why they are asur, or why they create different natures of isur, that comes up in Basar B'chalav as well. The Rebbein Utam, in many places in Shas and Avodah Zarah, talks about the fact that Basar by itself and Chalav by itself are heter. And therefore, when you bring them together, that's why there's no bitl of Basar B'chalav. When you mix Basar B'chalav together, they become a new entity called Basar B'chalav, because they're both heter. And since they're both heter, like the Ran says over here, there's not enough contrast over there create bitl, because each one independently is head there. It's only when they're joined together that they become isur. So it has implications throughout Shas, but this is a very famous, important ran in the world of Tarovet. So I wanted to spend a little time on it, explaining the shita of the ran. Right now, the Mishnah continues and says, It's a nuder min yayin. Someone takes a nether from wine, mutar bitavshil sheish botam yayin. Then a person is mutar to eat a dish that has wine in it, or wine flavor in it. Because... When he says that a masur b'yayin, he means yayin. He means wine itself. He means from drinking plain wine. He doesn't mean anything that has wine in it. He simply means wine itself. On the other hand, if he says, Amar konam yayin ze alai, or konam yayin ze sha'eni to'em, if he says that, then he makes it into a chatikha shalisura, that wine itself. 
that wine then goes into a dish, then it has the same rules, like the basar that we saw before. If you made the basar into a chatichash alisura, by saying basar zeh, so too by yayin zeh, you have the same impact, and make it into something of the isur, and therefore it will impact on the tafshil itself, benotein tam. So the difference between yayin and tam yayin is the same thing that we saw, the distinction between basar and basar zeh, the same is true by yayin and yayin zeh. Why both examples are brought, you can't take anything for granted here in this in these Mishnayot, because this is all about Lashon B'nai Adam. So here the Mishnayot are telling you, when you use the word Basar, use the word Yayin, this is what people mean by Basar V'yayin. That's number one. The other distinction, or the other important thing is the phrase, eology, that's used here. By Basar, it says, Basar Alai. Over here, it says, Konam, Yayin, and here there's a Machloket about the Girsa. If you look in the Balea Tosafot, the Balayatosafot say, Konum Yain Zeh. They have a girsa of Zeh. On the other hand, the Ran, the Ran is actually found on the Amud Bet. His girsa in Agamar is, Konum Yain She'eni Toem or She'eni Toem. So the Machloket here is the language that you used. And therefore, according to the Ran, there's actually a difference in the way that you phrased it. In the first case, you said, Basar Zeh Alai. In the second same, you said, Konum Yain She'eni Toem. And what the Mishnah then is teaching you is that both the Shanot work to specify the object. And if that's the case, it creates, becomes a chatichash surah. But that's done through different language than according to the Ran. And that might be the Chiddush of the Mishnah here, if that it's giving you an example with the Lashon of Zeh. And then it gives you an example of Lashon of She'eni or She'ani To'em. So that might be the difference between Yain and Basar and why the Mishnah gave you both examples. All right, now the Gemara says, Viraminu. Can we really say that this is the case, that Rabbi Yossi's position is this way? Don't we have a Mishnah later on? in the Mesechta coming up at the end of this parak, which, Mina Adashim, Asur Ba'ashishim. Someone takes a nether from Adashim, from lentils, is Asur and Ashishim. De Rabbi Yossi Matir. Rabbi Yossi says, no problem. So now, the Rishonim here argue. Most of the Rishonim believe that this is a dual question. The question is posed both to Rabbi Yossi and to the Chachamim. Because the Chachamim over there say, Mina Adashim. Asur Ashishim. Whereas in our Mishnah, when they say, Menachalav is Mutar Bekum. So how come over there, Ashishim are subsumed under Adashim? Whereas over here, in our Mishnah, that Kum is not subsumed under Chalav. And the same is true for Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi in our Mishnah says that Kum is subsumed under Chalav. And then over here, he says that Ashishim are not subsumed under Adashim. So most of the Rishonim view this as a two-way question, which is the questions on both the Chachamim and Rabbi Yossi. And therefore, the answer of the Gemara applies to both of their positions. That means that the way that Gemara answers is that the Machokit isn't so fundamental, but rather about the nature of the vernacular. Now, what Ashishim are is subject to a Machokit. Daran quotes the Yushalmi, who says that Ashishim are lentils that were fried or put together with honey, and it's Adashim coated in honey. That's one possibility as to what these ashishim are. Rashi says that it's bread that's mu'urabo kemach shel adashim. It's bread that has not only wheat flour or barley flour in it, it also has lentil flour mixed into it. That's Rashi's definition of what ashishim are. The Rosh says that ashishim are the psolet of the adashim. They are the residue or the residual of the lentils. 
That's what the Rosh says it is. And the Rambam in Perisha Mishnayot says that Ashishim are Kemach Adashim. That's just lentil flour. So here are different definitions of what these items are. Based on that, all of them have some sort of semblance or connection to Adashim. The question is, does Ashishim subsumed under Adashim? And Chachamim say it is. And Rabbi Yossi says it's not, which seems to contradict their opinions in our Mishnah about Kum and Chalav. It says, Lo Kasho. My answer is, Marki Atrei or Marki Atrei. Each one of them was based on where they lived. It's all about vernacular. It's all about language usage, vocabulary, and what the words mean. In the city of the Rabbanon, they call milk milk. And they call the way, way. In the city of Rabiosi, they call the Kuma Nami Karule Kuma de Chalva. When they speak about way, they call it the Kuma of the milk. So they still connect it to its primary source, which is the milk, and that's what creates the problem over here. Now, according to the Ran, the whole question was only on Rabiosi. And here the answer is Rabiosi is the stira within the sheet of Rabiosi by saying that there's a difference. In the case of Kuma, Kuma is known as Kuma de Chalva. On the other hand, when it comes to Ashishim, they're not known as the Ashishim, the Adashim. They're just known as Ashishim plain. And because of the difference in the usage of the language, that's why they end up with a different Sakalocho in the Mishnah upcoming on Nungimolomid Bet versus the Mishnah that we saw here in Rabbi Yossi Shita. So that's the way that the Ran explains it over here. On the other hand, the other Rishunim explain that the questions both on Rabbi Yossi and the Chachamim so then they go on to explain why the Chachamim's position is also different for the same reason. Which, if you look in the Rosh, she gives you, In the city of the Rabbonon, they called Ashishim, Adashim, Ashishim of the Adashim. The same way that in Abiyosi city, they called Kuma, Kuma de Chalva, the same is true by the Chachamim. Then Inami, he brings the secondary answer, which is, The Rabbonon, the Psolet, Nikra Hashem Ha'ikar, According to the Chachamim, then psolet, residue, or leftovers, the unwanted parts of an item, are connected to the original item. Ashishim, according to that, when we said that the Rosh suggested maybe it's the psolet of the Adashim, that is considered to be connected to Adashim because it's psolet of Adashim. And something that's psolet of the primary object still has the name of the primary object on it. And Rabbi Yossi disagrees with that and says that that's not the case over here, versus our Mishnah beforehand, which has nothing to do with psolet or not psolet, but has to do with whether kuma is known or connected to the halva or not, or is it so independent and it's so far from the milk that it's not considered to be milk at all. So that's how the Rosh and other of the Rishonim will differentiate here between what Rabbi says and what the Chachamim say. And that's simply what the Ran says. The reason why this is not even a question of the Chachamim to start with is for that difference. Because by Kuma, that's not considered to be milk at all. On the other hand, by Ashishim, since he's using the definition of the Yushalmi, that is lentils coated in honey, then they are in lentils. They really are lentils. And since they really are lentils, that's why the Chachamim say they're Asur. And that's how the Ran differentiates in the position of the Chachamim without even getting to the question of the Gemara. But that means that according to most of the Rishonim, the Machlok between Rabbi Yossi and the Chachamim is simply about language and language usage. It's about vernacular. And so it's not a really a fundamental Machlok. It is simply a Machlok of the Mitziut, of how people use these words. And then according to the Ran, there still is a 
fundamental machloket between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yossi about how derivative items relate to their origins. So by the way, it has nothing to do with the original Chalav because it's so distant from it. So over there, it's a vernacular argument, and that's why Rabbi Yossi has to distinguish in that manner. But for the Chachamim, you can have a fundamental difference, which is when items include Adashim, lentils, which are the original item, even though they're not called lentils anymore, but there are lentils in them, that's enough to be subsumed under the title of lentils. And then whey, which is not milk at all, over there we would not consider it to be derivative of the primary item unless the vernacular would force you in that direction. So according to the Ran, you could come up with a much more of a fundamental difference within the position of the Chachamim versus the other Rishonim here who say that it's all about language and language usage. Now the Gemara brings down a brighta, which I mentioned before, Tanya. Brings out a brighta. It's not clear why the Gemara brings the brighta. It just is, in a sense, a repetition of the Mishnah. Again, according to the Ran and other Rishonim who say that there was an alternate girsa in this brighta that said that Rabbi Yossi argued in Kum and Chalav in both directions, then it would make sense that this brighta is here. Uh, according to what we saw before, where the Gemara tends to quote the Mishnah again, and it seems like the Mishnah was doubled up, this might be the same thing here where they were quoting the Mishnah again, but here they quote it as a brighta. I'll read through the Brayta, but it's very similar to our Mishnah. Tanya, Anoder min ha-chalav mutar b'kum. Min ha-kum mutar b'chalav. Min ha-chalav mutar b'gvina. Min ha-gvina mutar b'chalav. So all these items are, do not include each other. This is the sheet of the Chachamim. The Chalav does not include kum. Kum does not include Chalav. Milk does not include cheese. Cheese does not include milk. Min ha-rotev mutar b'kipah. Person who talks about gravy is not aster in the kipah. Min ha-kipah mutar b'rotev. Kippah, like we described before, the the pieces of meat or it's the solidified gravy does not include rotev. Imamar basar ze alai asur bo ubi rotvo ubi kipo. He says basar ze makes into a chaticha shali sura. Then he's asur in it. It's gravy and it's pieces of meat at the bottom because all of those are derivatives of it and it's a chaticha shali sura and any time that it gives off is problematic. And udermin ayayin. Someone who takes an effort from yain, mutar betavshil sheish botam yain. It's mutar to eat something or a cooked dish that has flavor or wine flavor in it. Amar konam yain zeh sheeni toim. And here you see a mixture of the girsaot, because it has zeh and any toim in it. So it's both the girsa, the tosafot, and the ran. If he says it that way, v'nafalo tocha tavshil, then it falls into the cooked item. Meish botam yain or is asur. If it has the flavor of wine, then that is considered to be asur. And so this bright is very similar to our Mishnah. It has some slight nuances, like talking about rotet versus kippah and chalab versus gvina, but in essence, it's the sheet of the chachamim that are found in our Mishnah. Now the next Mishnah says, Anuder min anavim mutar b'yayin. Someone who takes a nether from grapes is mutar in wine. Minazetim mutar b'shemen. Someone takes a nether from olives is mutar in the oil. Because when someone speaks about grapes, they speak literally about grapes. They don't mean derivatives of the grapes. They don't talk about wine, because wine is significant in and of itself. And therefore, when a person speaks about grapes, he doesn't mean wine. He would have said wine if he meant wine. Or he would have said, something that is a derivative or comes out of the grapes. And the same is true by zeitim. Since each item is significant in and of itself, and the liquid that emits from it is also significant, they are separate items. Amar konam zeitim v'anavim eilu, if he is oser, these particular grapes or olives, that it will not taste of them. Asur ben, ubayotze ben. Then you're asur in them, and anything that it derives from them or emits from them. So then the wine and the oil will also be asurim, because now you made them into chatichash surah, 
And therefore, any derivative from them will also be problematic in that case. Now, by Rami Barchama, Elu Dafka, Oshe'eni Toim Dafka. It's basically the Machoket and the Girsa between the Tosafot and the Ran before, which is which one or which language over here is Dafka? Is that Elu is what drives the difference between the Reisha and the Seifa of this Mishnah? Or is it She'eni Toim that drives the difference between the Reisha and the Seifa? There are Rishonim, like the Rosh over here, who says that there's a third possibility, that it's both. It's both She'eni Toim and Elu. That's a third possibility. There's a different permutation, that you need either, either Elu or She'eni Toim, or maybe you need both. So that's the question of Rami Barchama. What is generating this Chaticha Shalisura in the Mishnah? Gemara says, Isakadatcha Elu If you think Elu is for real, and that's the thing that's making the difference, She'eni Toim Lomali. Then why does the Mishnah mention Sheni Toim at all? Hakamashvalan, Davagav Damar Sheni Toim, because the Mishnah is teaching you that even if you say any Toim, Idamar Elo Mitzar, if you use the language of Elo, then it's a sore, Vilolo, but if you don't use the language of Elo, it doesn't work. Now, most of the Bishonim say that the Gemara just picked this as the example because it was the first one mentioned by Rami Barchama. But the same would be true. The Gemara could ask the same question about any Toim. Let's say any Toim is Dafka. And then, well, ah, why is Elu mentioned? To show you that even when Elu is mentioned, you still need any Toim. So most of the Rishonim seem them as interchangeable here, not saying that the Gemara is favoring one of the two options, but rather giving you an example of how it would work, even though it used both languages over here. Obviously, according to the Rosh, who brings that opinion that it could be both, then also that's another option over here, that they're both Afko, and that you need both of them. And that's why they're written over here, so that could be another possibility that Gemara introduces. There are others suggest that the Gemara favored Elu because that is the direction that the Gemara is going. It thinks that Elu is this way, and we're going to see later on in the Gemara that that's Pshita, and therefore the Gemara is trying to deal with Elu because that, they know for sure, is going to create the difference between the Rish and the Seifa. Amarava, Tashma. Let's bring a proof from this. Konam. And we had this back on Mem Zayin Amaral. It's a Mishnah coming up on Nun Zayin because we had this with regards to Chilufehem and Gidulehem. Konam perota elu alai, konam heim lepi, asur bechilu fehem, ubegidu lehem. So you see from here, he used ha'elu, perot ha'elu, which would be the same thing as our Mishnah that says, zeitim vanim elu. And over there, that Mishnah says, chilu fehem and gidu lehem are asurim. Ha, you can infer from that, that bayotze behem is mutar. That which derives from them is mutar. Because there would have been a bigger chiddish to tell us that the yotze mehen is asur, and then we would have known that certainly Gidulehem are Asurim. So because when you're talking about a Yotzeh that's a different item. That's something that's separate or different or distinct from the item itself. Gidulehem is something that grows out of the Easter itself. So it would have been a much bigger Chiddush to teach us about Yotzeh than to teach us about Gidulehem. The fact that it leaves it out shows you that Yotzeh must be Mutar. But it says, no, no, no. Huadin dafilu biyotzeh asur. Even Yotzeh is Asur. So then why didn't the Mishnah mention it? That is because the Mishnah over there wants to teach us the Chiddush that Chilufehen has the same din as Gidulim. Now that's a bigger Chiddush. Chilufim are a bigger Chiddush than Yotzei Behen because Chilufin is an exchange. There are none of the physical properties of the original Isur are there anymore. You're just exchanging it and therefore that would be something you wouldn't think is a Sur. Now you could ask, why isn't it just right then? Chilufin and because those would be the two bigger chidushim. So the the Rosh suggests that those two are similar, that chilufim are similar to gidulim, 
And that's why I kept them together. So Chaim Kiduim dummy. Now, the, the Rad over here asks a question, Tosavot asks the same question. He says, I don't understand the whole question of the Gemara over here. Because, Im Tomar, the shiny Toem, Chamor, Mikonem Elu. How could you ever suggest that any Toem is more Chamor than Elu? The Mishnah later on, that Mishnah Nun Zion makes it clear that if you use the term Elu, then you're Asur Bechilufem and Gidulem. If you use the Lashon of any Toem, then you're not Asur Bechilufem and Gidulem. So it makes it clear that Elu is more Chamor than the case of any Toem. So then how could you have a Hafamina here to suggest that any Toem would be more Chamor than Elu? It's clear from that Mishnah that that's not the case. So Tosua goes on to explain and says this. He says, you know what? It's the word Elu is not what creates the Easter over there. Very interesting Tosavot. Tosavot says that Elu is not what makes the Davar into a Davar Shal Isur and then makes it into Chilufan and Gedulim Esurim, but rather the Lashon of Eni Toeim takes away from the fact that it is Asubi Gedulim and Chilufan. When you use the Lashon of She'eni Toeim and She'eni Ochel, you're demonstrating that the Isur you want to create here is about your interaction with this item in particular and not Gedulim and not Chilufan. So Elu is not a more powerful Lashon. It's just the lesson of any toim and any uchel is a way to take away from gidulehem and chilufehem. It's saying, I don't want those to be a sore. I only want to ima or achilat to be a sore. And that's why it works over there. Therefore, the Rutosavot says over here, where that is compatible, when you say she'eni toim and she'eni uchel, then yotzei mehen could be a derivative. That could be a part of that. That think that's yotzei, it could be included under any toim and any uchel because it's a derivative of the object itself. And therefore, maybe any Ochel and Yotuem is not inconsistent with the Yotzei Mehen. And maybe Elu has no impact. Because as the Tosavot says, Elu has no bearing. So Tosavot answers the question in that way. The Ron actually answers the question by saying that Elu does do something over there. Elu over there makes it into like Hektesh. And similar to Hektesh, where Gidulehem and Chilufayen are Surin, so too will be the case by Isur Over here, we're not discussing about Hektesh. Yotzei Mehen is not an issue of Hektesh, it's a different question altogether. It's a question of whether once you have something that derives or comes out of the Isur, is that still considered to be the Isur itself? That's not an issue of Hektesh, that's an issue that is particular to Nidarim. Now here, the Lashon of Elu or She'eni Toeim might have different impact or different meaning. So that's how Tosafot and Naran deal with this issue where it's clear in the mission later on that Elu works better than She'eni Toeim. Why over here is the Gemara of Ahav? I mean that She'eni Toeim should work. And they do it by either, Tosavot does this by neutralizing Elu and saying that doesn't do it. It's Sheini Toeim, Sheini Echel that does that in that next Mishnah. And over here, that's not incompatible with the explanation of a Yotzei Mehen. The Rana, on the other hand, says that the Elu over there works particularly because it makes it like Hektesh. And that's why it works over there. But over here, where Hektesh doesn't make a difference, then maybe even Toeim works or works better over here. The Rana here does bring another approach to why these Lishonot over here make a difference is because they are unnecessary Lishonot. And the unnecessary Lashon is what creates the additional Isur. So when you say Elu, Elu adds on a dimension or an extra factor that makes the Masur mixed into a Chatichash Lishura. And the same is true, he says, B'She'eni Toeim. Because She'eni Toeim is not necessary. If you say Basar Ze Alai, you don't have to say She'eni Toeim. Or Basar Alai, Konam Basar Alai, you don't have to add on She'eni Toeim. The unnecessary language of She'eni Toeim that's added on that's what makes it that the Isur here extends not only to the object, but to Beyotzimahen, things that exit from it. Now, Ron says that works well for She'eni Toeim. What are you going to say about She'eni Ochel? Because 
it would not be enough to say Peirut Elu and not say Sheini Ochel, because if you don't specify Sheini Ochel, then there are Sur as well. So Sheini Ochel does have impact, and therefore it's necessary language. So how can you call Sheini Ochel extraneous language? And even though Totsufot on the Amur Aleph says that Sheini Ochel and Sheini Tuem are synonymous in this case, and they have the same impact, how can you say Sheini Ochel has that same impact if you believe the reason behind why these things create an Easter Hepsa and Piyotzeban is because of the extra language. Sheini Ochel is not an extra language. So the Rod says, Ika Lameymar. He could have phrased it this way, instead he used this different formulation, since he didn't use the simplest formulation, which is, and he didn't use that, the most straightforward and easy formulation, but rather used this more convoluted formulation of that's why it's considered to be extraneous, and that's why it creates this Easter of Yotzeman. But he says, according to that, Shito, if that's the reasoning behind why the Easter is created over here is this extraneous Lashon, similar to what Tosafot said before, then there actually will be a difference between Nidarim and Shvuot. He says, You can't use the terminology of Achila Alai, which is a Lashon Nether. It doesn't work by Lashon Shvuot. Then Al Korche, he has to say, Shani Ochel by Lashon Shvuot. There's only one way to formulate it by Shvuot. Since there's only one way to formulate it, then there would not be such a distinction. And therefore, when you use Shani Ochel by Eshvua, it would not create an Easter of Yotzeman, as opposed to by Nidarim, where it would, because there it's an extraneous language. And then the Ram brings that the Rambam does not dis- make this distinction between Nidar and Shvua. And therefore, he must believe that it's not because of the Tura, the extra language here that's creating the Easter of Yotzeman, but rather they fundamentally, these words or this type of language means Yotzeman, means things that derive from them. And that's the question of the Gemara. The Gemara here is asking about not whether this is considered to be an extraneous language, but fundamentally, do these words or this vocabulary, does it include Gayotzeban? So the first proof we brought, we dismissed. Now, Tashma, let's say the second half of that Mishnah and Zion. Sheni Ochel, Sheni Toeim, Mutar Bichilufen, Begidulen. They're your Mutar. Ha, Yotzeban Asur. You would infer from that that Yotzeban is Asur. So from that, you would conclude that when you use any Toeim, any Ochel, it does create an Easter for Yotzei Mehen, and it would be Dafka by any Ochel and any Toem. It says, no, I did the Lonosib Beresha Yotzei Mehen, Lonosib Nami Beseifa Yotzei Mehen. Since in the Resha, it didn't introduce the issue of Yotzei Mehen, it also left it out in the Seifa. And in Ochanami, the Seifa would be Mutar by Yotzei Mehen, and the Resha would be Asur. Or you can do it either way. Meaning that you could explain it either way. And the Gemara is Doche here, the possibility of getting any proof from that Mishnah, since we have a Dhyah to both aspects of the Mishnah, both the First half of the Mishnah, because there's a greater Chiddush in putting down Chidufehen. And the latter half, because of the parallel structure that there is no need to put in Yotzei Mehen, even though there might have been a bigger Chiddush. And there really is a Chiddush by saying over here, Yotzei Mehen is Asur or Mutar. It would have had impact over there. Tashma. So another option is, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Masiv Asar Rabbi Tarfon Alai Bitzim Shnit Bashlu Imo. So our Mishnah that says that Rabbi Yehuda, Claims that Rabbi Tarfon was Oser, the case where the eggs were cooked together with the meat. The eggs were at Surtolo. So Amrulo, the Chachamim responded to Rabbi Huda that Kenadavar, you're right, but Ematai, when is that true? Bizman Shamar Basar Ze Alai. Shnoder Minadavar, Vinitarev Bacher, Vishmanutin Tamar, Zasur. So now Basar Ze Alai, Basar Ze, all the Rishonim over here, you can see it in Rashi, you can see it in the Rosh, you can see it in Tosafot. Basar Ze is the equivalent of Elu. 
because it specifies, it's, it delineates the particular item. So here he says, Basar alai, and we don't see Shani Toim. I don't see any Shani Toim, and what does our Mishnah say? That the Beit is a sore, because it has the time of the Basar. So the Gemara says, Be'elu lo kami bailan, the dafkuhu, eno chanami. By Elu, everybody agrees that Elu works to make it that Yotzebehen is a sore. That we don't have any question about based on our Mishnah that says Basar Zeh works, then certainly Basar Elu or Anavim Elu, Zetim Elu would work. Kikami Bailan, Bish Eni Toem, Dafko, Lab Dafko. Our question is, is Enu Toem, Dafko or not Dafko? Again, that could mean by itself. Is it Dafko or Lo Dafko? Or according to those Rishonim that suggest that you need both of them, then do you need the Eni Toem together here with the Basar Zeh? Or together with the Enavim and Zetim Elu? Or is it enough by the Elu by itself? Tashma. Let's look at our mission on the previous mission from yesterday's daf. Dag dagim she'eni toim asur ben ben gedolim ben ktanim ben chayim ben mevushalim umutar b'tarit trufa u'b'tzir. When you say dag dagim, again we discussed yesterday why that works. But if you said she'eni toim, you only use any toim over here. Now he's asur whether they're big, small, raw, cooked, but he's mutar in tarit trufa. He's mutar in the minced fish, but more importantly, bitsir, the brine. The brine is a derivative. It's something that's yotzeim in the fish, and you're mutar in the brine. So you see over there, you're using a lashon of she'eni toim, and you are mutar in yotzeimahen. That should answer our question. Amarova, that's not the case, because that mishnah is the case, if the brine already exited from the fish. So if the brine exited the fish prior to your neder, then the brine is not a sore when you're oser the fish, because brine is not considered to be dag dagim. On the other hand, if the brine is still in the fish when you take the nether, it would be the case that if the liquid emits from that fish, that it would be a derivative of Yotzei and it would be considered to be a sore. So, we did not solve the problem with regards at least to any toim. And the Gemara says, Elu, yes. And then by any toim, any ochel, it doesn't know. And it leaves it Unresolved, and since these are unresolved, we'll go the Chumrah. And the Ran says the Inyan Alocha Pshitolan the Elu Zafkahu the Asur beYotzimhen b'Sheni Toem Misfekalon. That if you say Elu Zeh, then for sure they are Asur beYotzimhen. Any Toem we have a Safek. Even though leave Shita, since we don't have a Sakalochia, Mashma the Naktin and the Chumrah, then we go the Chumrah. Okay, we're gonna stop over here by the Mishnah on the top of Nun Gimel Amud Aleph.